Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our first video on YouTube. We are Helpline Youth Counseling, and we are prevention specialists with the Alcohol and Other Drug Department. My name is Melissa. Hi, everyone. My name is Kafila. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. And today we'll, we will be discussing tobacco and how perception of it has changed over the last few decades. We've been wanting to do some sort of video or podcast that focuses on discussing alcohol and drug use. And we wanted to do this because normally we do presentations that are fact-based and we try our best to instill this knowledge into different communities so that they can make the best decisions for themselves in the future. And since we don't usually work one-on-one -on -one with individuals, it's often hard to get our point across when the information can be a little dry and even boring at times. As, and for me personally, I do enjoy discussing things like this because everyone has such a, such a unique perspective on these semi-controversial topics. And I also wanna mention that as prevention specialists, we're not here to tell you how to live your life. You know, We're not gonna feed you scare tactics like if you smoke marijuana once, you're gonna mess up your life forever because that's just not true. But we are here to give you the scientific information and all of the correct information regarding policies um, and how all of these chemicals in drugs and alcohol can affect your mind and your body. And with that, we just hope that you can decide for yourself based off of the pros and the cons that we present to you, um, what is going to be the best path for you in regards to substance use. So that's a little bit about what we're trying to do with this channel, uh, but let's go to the next slide and talk about what Helpline Youth Counseling is. So Helpline Youth Counseling is a nonprofit organization and the main goal is to enhance the well-being in youth and their families through counseling, education, and using community resources. And part of that is drug prevention. And we have other departments that focus on completely different issues. At the bottom, you'll find our Instagram handle and we post different infographics um, and upcoming events that could be useful to the community. So if you have the time, please check that out. And now I'll go on to the next slide um, and we will introduce ourselves and a little bit about, um, we'll talk about a little bit of our experience. So again, my name is Melissa. I graduated from Long Beach State in 2019 with a major in health science with a focus on community health. And to be completely honest, I didn't know what I was going to work in when I graduated. I was just kind of open to anything that would give me a better pay than what I was getting as a receptionist. Um, but from the moment I started studying community health, I firmly believed, and I still do believe, that our world would be so much better if people had health education. And that includes nutrition, sex health, mental health, and drug use prevention, and all the other aspects of health. Because when someone is healthy mentally and physically, I believe that they can do so much more for themselves, for their family, and for their community. And so when I graduated, I was lucky enough to be offered a position with HYC. And this is where my experience with drug prevention started. Early on, I knew that I did not agree with the typical just say no method of drug prevention. There's so much more that goes on behind deciding to try a drug or alcohol, and sometimes just saying no doesn't seem like an option. And I also believe that education on maintenance is extremely important. So knowing the difference between dependency, addiction, and understanding that there is a thing in enjoying something like a drink and becoming a And we'll also get into all of that into the next few videos, hopefully. Um, but today we will be discussing um, tobacco use. And I'll pass it on to Kafila. Thanks, Melissa. Um, so 
Again, my name is Kapila. I got my bachelor's in public health at Cal State Fullerton, um, and I'm currently there getting my master's in social work. Similar to Melissa, um, I just had a really big passion throughout my undergrad years for public health um, and just health promotion and disease prevention overall. Um, so I kind of got my start with nonprofit work or just volunteer work during my undergrad years. Um, and so that really did build my passion over time for just helping the community, um, raising awareness for different health issues, especially um, in underprivileged communities. Um, and so a lot of my background comes from just volunteering at different agencies and doing different volunteer work um, in different health or public health sectors. Um, and so I found Helpline uh, similar to Melissa, um, but super glad that I'm here now. A lot of the work that we're doing um, is all a learning process as we're also teaching our community. Um, we do a lot of research and um, it's always great to learn ways to keep our, ourselves safe and healthy and then also to teach our community to do the same as well. And I'll pass it over to Lauren. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, thank you, Kafila. So uh, I'm Lauren, um, as uh, Kafila mentioned, and I got my uh, bachelor's in strategic and corporate communication from Chapman University in 2018. Um, and then I went on to get my master's in health communication. Um, so I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do at the end of high school, um, because a lot because unfortunately, a lot of my friends um, in high school ended up with drug addictions and a couple of them ended up passing away um, due to overdoses. Um, so in the beginning of high school, it kind of just started out as uh, what seemed like innocent partying at the time, which is like alcohol and smoking weed. Um, but then some of them started using painkillers. And that's kind of where I saw that their addiction really began. Um, and then some of them ended up graduating to using heroin. Um, and now either they're not alive anymore, um, they're still struggling with their addiction, or uh, they're sober, but they're only able to remain sober because they um, constantly are going to NA meetings. Um, so after high school, I really just like thought to myself how easily I could have been one of them. Um, and I often wondered why I wasn't, like why I didn't end up like them. Um, so that's really why I do what I do now um, as a prevention specialist. Um, so that other kids don't end up the way that my friends did. Um, even if I just influence one kid or one kid's decision to not use drugs because of something I said or something that they learn um, from us during one of our presentations, that's really good enough for me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of me in a brief synopsis and why I do what I do now. Thank you guys for sharing. Uh, so as you can see, we all have different perspectives and we all have different experiences that create our team. And our main goal is to be able to create these presentations and to be able to talk to the community. Um, and like Lauren said, we want to, if we can change one person's opinion or perspective on drug use, then that is what makes this job worth it. So I'll go on to the next slide um, to briefly discuss what this video is going to look like. Um, so I'll start off talking about tobacco policy. Um, and then Kavila will discuss the evolution of e-cigarettes, and then Lauren will finish the video um, discussing e-value research, which is pretty new, so I'm very interested to hear um, what she has to say. So let's get into it. Uh, tobacco policy. Some of the basics include a nationwide age minimum for purchasing tobacco products, including vape products. So this in itself is controversial, as there are different opinions on why the age minimum should be 18, or why it should actually be higher. 
and I can see both sides. Um, you know, there's the issue of having 18 year olds enlisting in the military, you know, being able to fight for their country, but they can't make those decisions of purchasing these products for themselves. However, I also know that an adult's brain doesn't fully develop until like the age of 25. So even when a 21 year old is purchasing these products, all of those chemicals are that they're um, inhaling and consuming that can still potentially harm their brain and it will affect the way that they perceive and think about things for the rest of their lives. So it's two pretty huge things to consider um, and especially when it comes to policies uh, affect all of us. And so the way that we ended up here with stricter age laws and policies is due to the research that has been done since the 1950s. So this was decades ago. And, you know, since we were kids, like we as in probably the watcher or, you know, us as prevention specialists, we that cigarettes are bad for you and how they make you smell bad and how they harm your lungs and how you can get cancer. So all of these things we've known pretty early on, you know, since we were kids due to that research. And when the research was barely starting, people believed that smoking was actually good for you. And this is probably because of the effects that they were feeling from the nicotine and the, the tobacco that they were constantly using. And so it wasn't uncommon to see ads like this on the left where cigarette companies were stating that doctors and dentists were promoting their product um, as healthy. And it was normal to see pregnant women smoking. It was normal to send your kid down to the liquor store to purchase cigarettes. And now you won't see that, you know, there's so much uh, negative stigma for that because of those things that we have found out. And then a few decades later, you know, we started seeing the separation of smoking and non-smoking section. And now it's more rare um, to see these separations, especially because there are a lot of buildings that don't allow any type of smoking um, anywhere in their facility. But if you go to a hotel or to Vegas, it's more common. You can request uh, to have um, a smoking section for your hotel or for um, your restaurant. And especially, you know, in Vegas, uh, if you go into a casino, there is um, smoking pretty much everywhere. And this research um, did come out, you know, like I said, in a few decades ago. So this kind of started uh, in the 1950s. And then in 1964, the first Surgeon General's report on smoking was published, uh, which basically said, yes, there is a link between smoking and lung cancer. And after this report is when tobacco policy started becoming more and more strict. For example, in 1966, so two years after this report was published, we started seeing warnings on cigarette boxes saying that you can get cancer or that it can negative, negatively affect your health. And then nine years later in 1975, Minnesota was the first state to require separate smoking areas in public areas. Um, and then, you know, other states followed suit. And in 1986, the Surgeon General released another report on secondhand smoke. And they, this um, talked about the dangers of smoking in front of children, in front of pets, et cetera. Uh, and so in 1990 is when San Luis Obispo in California actually became the first city in the world to prohibit smoking in buildings, bars, and restaurants. The other states followed in the next few decades. So Melissa, I know that those policies focused on tobacco use, but um, what about now uh, that e-cigarettes have become so popular? Um, have these policies influenced e-cigarette use? So personally, I remember e-cigarettes becoming more and more popular in my senior year of high school, which was um, 2013 and 2014. 
And I remember it was popular among like 17 year olds to ask their 18 year old friends to buy some disposable vapes. And after 2014, I started to see more and more of, you know, like these big, big pens um, that could be customized and these like crazy flavors that you could buy in vape shops. But at the same time, the policies in California uh, became more strict with the increase in the minimum age to uh, purchase tobacco and vape products. Um, and also what I believe is a huge accomplishment for universities is having completely smoke-free campuses but this doesn't apply to all community colleges. However, there are some uh, community colleges that have passed uh, or have adopted this policy. So in most recent years, uh, Cerritos College did become a smoke-free campus and now other community colleges in LA County are considering adopting this policy as well. And these, Sorry about that. So these colleges may be considering this policy due to some of the benefits. And I understand not everyone agrees with the restrictions of smoking publicly, but there are some undeniable benefits such as preventing secondhand smoke and promoting a clean environment. So there are some things to consider when thinking about those types of policy in regards to e-cigarette use. And all three of us are similar in age, so I would love to hear your experiences on the evolution of e-cigarettes and maybe even what you think of these tobacco policies here in uh, California. Yeah, I'll go ahead and chime in. So um, kind of similarly when I was in kind of my junior to um, senior year of high school back in like 2013, 2014, um, there was so much hype, like this is, it just blew up out of nowhere, so much hype about um, these cool new vape pens and um, I just was really shocked by how um, you know like peers like my age were actually getting their hands on these kinds of things and um, peer pressure was really a thing back then so I'm really lucky or I'm really glad that I didn't um, follow suit with those things but it was definitely something that a lot of students were doing um, and so you have like the little jewel we'll kind of talk about the evolution of e-cigarettes um, but we'll talk the little jewels that they have very discreet so it's like you know parents or teachers or anything like that, um, if it were to be, you know, out on the table, if it were to fall out of the pocket, it's something that was really discreet. So I feel like a lot of students were able to get their hands on it and were really using it. Um, so that was something really big. Lauren, did you see anything different or what was your experience like? Yeah, so for me, I remember it was probably towards the end of high school. Um, some of my friends who were addicted to smoking traditional cigarettes um, started switching to like to vapes, but they were smoking those like big vapes. Um, and then I guess it was the middle of college. I remember the jewel coming out and I remember it seemed like everyone was using them. They were all over the parties. Um, people were jeweling during class, charging their jewel on their computers. Um, and then I guess it was after college that I saw a lot of my friends started to vape using those like front, uh, those puff bars. Um, and it was and everyone was asking like, what flavor do you have? What flavor do you have? Can I try that one? Like I just remember um, that always being the question. Um, but in terms of those policies for vapes, um, I also remember in college that my school was one of those colleges that was a no smoking campus. Um, so we had all these no smoking signs uh, around our campus. And I remember after the jewel came out, they changed all the signs to say uh, no smoking, including e-cigarettes, um, which I think was good because Secondhand smoke is still um, a thing with uh, vapes as well as traditional cigarettes. So yeah, that's kind of like what I remember and what I think about those policies. 
Thank you guys for sharing. Um, I'll go ahead and pass it off to Kafila, who's going to discuss the evolution of e-cigarettes. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, similarly, it was definitely um, a big time for e-cigarettes, you know, during the 2014 and 2013 era. Um, but I kind of want to take it all the way back to when it actually first started. So we're going to kind of talk about um, the evolution of e-cigarettes from literally all the way back into the 1930s until now. Um, and so a fun fact, e-cigarettes are actually date all the way back to the 1930s um, when a man named Joseph Robinson actually created the first documented e-cigarette. Um, and this is actually what it looked like on the left you see here. Um, it looks like all these different gadgets and all these different things added in there. Um, but then in 1963, uh, kind of in the mid 1900s, um, a man by the name of Herbert A. Gilbert actually came up with the smokeless and that's what you see there to the right, kind of a more um, leading towards a more traditional look of the e-cigarette. Um, so this is basically, it was called the smokeless and it's basically just a black aluminum cylinder um, with a silver tip. And these, these products, um, as you see, like in the early 1900s and in the mid 1900s, were way ahead of their time. So um, like Melissa kind of mentioned earlier, everyone was smoking and it was kind of seen as a thing, uh, just a, a basic thing that everyone did. Um, and before the Surgeon General actually came out um, with that health, health initiative, with all the research of the bad things that actually were included in tobacco and, and what nicotine actually did to everybody, um, it was it was pretty much accepted. So there was no reason for these cool gadgets. There was no reason for, um, like I said, it was just ahead of its time with these different gadgets. And so um, because of that, there were many companies that were actually um, ready to manufacture and distribute products such as this one. And so um, it was a very short-lived idea, but then uh, you'll see on the next slide that actually the evolution of it came back in 2007. But actually before that in 2003, um, an inventor, pharmacist and smoker by the name of Han Lick actually um, developed the first modern day um, e-cigarette in Beijing. Um, and so he called this the Ruyan and it actually meant like smoke. Um, and so this was really big in China, but in 2007, the first e-cigarette that you see there was actually introduced in the US. Um, and this was a time where uh, there's a lot of laws and policies that were put into place um, regarding just a controversy behind the sale and distribution of e-cigarettes. And so this was kind of a controversial time for uh, just a dist dist distribution of it, how people were getting their hands on it, especially youth. Um, and so in 2009, you kind of see the change of the model. It goes from looking like a traditional cigarette um, to kind of looking like what it looks like there, um, a vape pen in 2009. And so the look is changing. Um, there's still some controversy around the manufacturing and sale of e-cigarettes. Um, but then fast forwarding to 2012, uh, the make becomes a little bit bigger and this opens up um, basically a new world for vape. Uh, you have your refillable cartridges, which opens up the opportunity for different flavors, um, kind of like how Warren was talking about earlier um, with the different flavors and kind of how it became this um, quote unquote fun thing um, to kind of try. And then we kind of touched on the jewel. So in 2015, you see there the jewel. Um, and this is actually a really big time for youth because the CDC found that vape actually went from 1.5% usage in youth to 16% usage in youth. And you see it's a very discreet look and it's a very discreet model. So it looks like a, your average USB cord or your average USB device and it could be mistaken as such um, by teachers or because it's such a new idea 
um, it's something that, you know, educators and, and those who are, or parents are really paying attention to because there's not much research, research on it yet. Um, and so moving on to 2017 and the more generation, um, generation four and five models, you definitely have uh, more flexibility with flavors, um, more flexibility with how youth are able to get their hands on it. And back then, 2015, 2017, um, it was very easy to buy an e-cigarette. You can simply go online. There is no hardcore uh, way of kind of verifying age. And so you just have to basically click a button that said, yes, I'm 18. Um, and if you had a debit credit card, you can buy it. So that also kind of played into the factor of how youth were getting their hands on it and how it's becoming this big thing amongst youth. Um, and then also, so these flavors or these different kind of models you see in 2017 also opened up a new world for um, adding THC to e-cigarettes. Um, so not only do you have your traditional e or your, your traditional e-cigarettes um, that have the tobacco, nicotine, and other things within them, you also start having the incorporation of THC. Um, so people are able to smoke THC through e-cigarettes now, um, and that's kind of a little bit of the evolution of that. But if we go into the next slide, we're kind of we'll kind of talk about uh, some of the harmful effects or some of the things that were actually in it. So this is just um, a, an image for perspective. And so the typical e-liquids contain between six milligrams and 30 milligrams um, of nicotine product. Um, and so you can see that one jewel pod or just that small, the different colors of um, the jewel pods equal one pack of cigarettes. Um, and so one jewel pod contains 59 milligrams of nicotine salts. And there's not only nicotine that we're finding in these different things, um, several different uh, products, several different carcinogens are found in them. Um, propylene glycol used to make antifreeze, paint solvent, artificial smoke and fog machines. So definitely a host of different things. Um, and we're starting to find more research and as research is evolving, um, which we'll, Lauren will talk about in a little bit, but you're finding that there's all these things that are definitely adding to um, the negative impact of smoking um, and kind of touching on social media a little bit. So we kind of talked about how it's a cool new look. It was a cool thing. Everybody was doing it. Um, social media was a huge factor that played into the influence of youth getting involved in um, e-cigarettes and vaping, uh, especially when you have advertisements that aren't specifically looking out for. Um, there's no hardcore way to, to, to tell if youth are actually being exposed to these different advertisements. Um, but you're definitely seeing social media being a really big influence to uh, things like that. So um, of course you have youth who are using these um, e-cigarettes and who are getting more involved. Uh, but Lauren, you were doing a little bit of research on some of the harmful effects and some of the things that are in it. What did you find? Yeah, so um, I know you both remember a little while back constantly seeing on the news, um, youth having to go to the hospital because of an illness from vaping. So the illness was first recognized by the CDC in August of 2019, after health department officials um, across the country began to study um, these cases of severe, um, sometimes fatal lung infections that arose suddenly um, in otherwise healthy individuals. Um, so the CDC has named the illness E-Valley, um, which stands for e-cigarette or vaping product associated, associated lung, lung injury. Um, so if you take a look at this next slide, um, you can see that there has been 2,807 cases nationally um, and 37 cases in LA County. Um, and, as, and if you can look on the top and see that it says um, number of cases associated with VAPI. 
So this was the original name for the illness, um, and that stood for vaping-associated pulmonary illness. Um, but since then, uh, the CDC has changed it to E-Valley, um, which is, uh, as stated before, stands for e-cigarette or vaping product use associated uh, lung injury. Um, so some scarier statistics that I found was that 68 people in the nation have died to, due to E-Valley, um, and 96% of the E-Valley cases uh, did require hospitalization. Um, and some of the symptoms that these patients with E-Valley experienced were um, shortness of breath, uh, fever and chills, um, cough, vomiting, diarrhea, um, headaches, dizziness. They had a rapid heartbeat um, and chest pain. Um, and also when the doctors uh, took chest x-rays or CT scans of the people with this illness, they found these dark um, hazy spots on their lungs um, on these x-rays. So uh, pretty scary stuff. I do have a question for you. Um, do they know why these vapes are causing this illness or, you know, do they have any idea why this is happening? Yeah. So, um, although we don't really know a whole lot about the particular cause of E-Valley, um, since these vaping devices are so new, um, to the doctors, um, but the CDC and the FDA are linking the illness, um, with an ingredient, uh, known as vitamin E acetate. Um, which is found in a lot of the vape juices that were used by um, people who had this illness. Um, and apparently, um, I, I researched it's actually added to the vape juice in order to um, thicken or dilute it, um, which makes it easy, easier to inhale. Um, and the CDC also found that the majority of the vapes um, of the E-Valley patients that contained vitamin E acetate um, were the THC-containing vapes. Um, and they were usually obtained from uh, these patients through informal sources, um, such as like friends or family in person or online dealers. So not from like official like vape shops or things like that. It was uh, informal sources. And I also found out uh, while doing my research, uh, something interesting. So vitamin E acetate is actually also found in a lot of the foods that we eat, um, such as sunflower oils, nuts, and some vegetables. So I guess it is safe for us to eat. Um, however, we didn't know the effects of it in our lungs uh, when it is inhaled until now, until all these illnesses started popping up. Um, so the CDC has hypothesized that um, vitamin E acetate is causing the illness because when the vitamin E acetate is in the vape juice, it's a solid. But when it's heated up in the vape um, and inhaled, it is vaporized. And then once it's back into our lungs, um, it will cool down. And again, it will turn back into that solid and it will stick to our lungs, um, which is why they think that it is causing these people to be sick. Um, but the CDC is also saying that in addition to vitamin E acetate, um, there are uh, many other substances in vapes that um, they are examining as possible causes of E-Valley. So there is still a lot of research that needs to be done in order for us to find out more about this illness. Um, but what we do know now is that these vapes are definitely not harmless uh, to us. That's so interesting to find out. So like, I know I saw on the news the other day or um, when COVID and quarantine kind of was a new idea to us, um, there's a connection between like smokers and um, COVID. Did you see any like research on that or what did you find um, on that topic? Yeah, so the CDC has uh, also found that people who 
use any types of vapes. So whether that's um, nicotine or THC vapes, um, they have an increased risk of experiencing more serious complications um, if they have COVID. Um, and this is due to the fact that um, vaping affects the functioning of our lungs and COVID is also an illness that affects our lungs. So it's kind of like double trouble. Um, but taking this into account, um, I guess I just wanted to wrap up uh, by sharing with you some of the CDC recommendations um, in regards to vaping. Um, so number one, the CDC recommends that um, e-cigarette or vaping products, whether that's nicotine or THC vapes, uh, should never be used by youth, young adults, or women who are pregnant. Um, the second recommendation is that people who do not currently use tobacco products should not start using e-cigarette or vaping products. Um, and third is that the CDC and the FDA recommend that people not use THC-containing e-cigarettes or vaping products, um, particularly ones that are contained from informal sources like friends or family or online, online dealers um, or even in-person dealers. And lastly, uh, the CDC recommends that the best way to avoid potential harmful effects from vaping is to not use THC-containing e-cigarettes or vaping products. Um, so as I mentioned before, we don't know everything about the health effects of vaping uh, just yet. It took health professionals over 20 years to uh, know the health effects of traditional cigarette smoking. So we most likely will be learning more and more about this research um, as it continues. But uh, I would recommend that you check out the CDC website for updates on their research. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you, Kafila, for showing us all of those pictures on how the e-cigarette actually evolved. I had a great time listening to you guys, um, and I hope that the audience did too. If any of you have any questions, please feel free to go onto our Instagram. Here is the um, handle again, or you can take a quick photo uh, with your phone and be directly taken to it. Um, and DM us, let us know what you think of this video. Let us know if you have any comments or questions about it. And also let us know what you wanna hear about. What other uh, topics would you like to learn about in regards to policy or just hear us rant about certain things. Um, and we also have our manager's email on this slide. If you wanna take a picture of that too, you can ask her more about what services our department offers um, or what HYC offers to the community. So thank you guys again for watching um, and I hope we see you next time on our next video.